got in my favorite choir anthem and just sang my favorite hymn. It's a good day. <laughs> Clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone, and it is well with my soul. And as Jeff said, if you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone, it is and will be well with your soul. Those two go together. They're part of one another. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We introduced this series last week to the Sermon on the Mount by talking about the message that Jesus came preaching. Scripture says it's very clear that John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus came along preaching the very same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. We tried to show how those are synonymous phrases, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. They're not two different things as some through the years uh, have interpreted, particularly through uh, things like the Schofield Reference Bible and all, have said the kingdom of God is now, the kingdom of heaven will not come until after the return of the Lord. And so uh, Schofield would have said that these verses we're looking at now are really just a waste of our time because these verses are for the millennial kingdom, not for our time. I disagree with that heartily. Obviously, I wouldn't be preaching on it right now. If I thought it was a waste of our time, it wasn't meant for us, then I would say, well, let's look at something else. Let's don't look here. But these verses are for us. This sermon is for everyone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ in this day. Everyone who has come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I hope we made it clear last week that this is not just a generic sermon for everyone, believer and non-believer alike, where if you just try to live by this, then somehow you'll be made right with God. This is not a new law in the sense of here is how you are to be. This is a statement of character. This is a statement of what God has done in the life of every believer. Now, let me amplify on that just a little bit, or clarify that maybe just a little bit, because it's like so much of Scripture. It is something that only God can build into you. Only God can give you these character qualities that we call the Beatitudes. Only God can, can plant that in your life. But it's not something then that we just sit back and say, oh, well, I'll let God do it. No, it's something that as a believer we are to pursue and we are to cultivate, if you will. We are to practice these things in our own lives. But an unbeliever can't practice it because they've not had it put into their life by the Spirit of God. You understand what I'm saying there? That's very important to understand. Jesus is not just giving some kind of passive statement here that when you're a disciple, this will be a reality. Don't worry about it. He is saying that when you are my disciple, God plants us in your life, and now you pursue this, you desire this. It's just like holiness. Holiness is not something we can do in our own strength. We'll see that in a moment uh, as we get into this sermon. Holiness is not something that we can say, okay, today I'm going to be holy all by myself, totally on my own, I don't need any help to do it. I'm just going to be holy today. Well, that's, a, that's an, a crazy statement. Because holiness is a gift from God. Holiness is a work of God. Godliness in our life is a work of God. However, God did say through His Word, Be holy for I am holy. But, but Lord, I thought only you could do holiness. That's right. 
But you are to pursue it. You are to pursue godliness. You are to pursue holiness in your life. That's to be a goal. That's to be a desire. That's to be a passion in your life if you are in Christ. Because God does the work in our life and then we pursue it with all of our life. That's what these Beatitudes are really all about. We saw last week, and, and one thing that you must understand here, and if you don't get anything else out of last week or anything else out of today, I want you to leave here remembering this and knowing this. If you've got a pen and pencil, write this down. This is important to understand the Sermon on the Mount. To say that we are living the Sermon on the Mount really means that we are bowing to the authority of Lord Jesus. To live the Sermon on the Mount is to bow to the authority and the lordship and the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not taking each of these things and saying, I will live it out, I will do it. It's saying, Lord, I bow before you. You are my Lord. I acknowledge you as Lord. I declare you to be Lord because you are Lord. And I desire, O oh Lord, for everything I am, I desire that you would build these things consistently and daily into my life. It's important to understand that if we're going to understand what this is all about. I think as we look at these Beatitudes, we're going to take them one at a time over the next eight weeks. As we look at these Beatitudes, I think the, there's a fundamental question that you need to ask yourself. And so I will ask you this morning and help you to ask yourself this, okay? Here's that fundamental question. What is your heart set on? What is your heart set on? Let me take it another step. If you were to list eight things, Jesus gives us eight things here. If you were to list eight things that you most wanted to see developed in your life, what would those eight things be? Forgetting the Sermon on the Mount right now for a moment. Forgetting the Beatitudes for a moment. If you were to just sit down, and this might be a good exercise for you this afternoon when you get home or, or tonight or something after church tonight. Sit down with a piece of paper and don't think about what you ought to write or what you ought to say, but think about what you really desire, what you really long for, what your real passion is. And just list out eight things. What are eight things that you really, really want out of your life and in your life? Some might write down, I really want to be successful at my job. Some might write down, I really want to keep my job in this economy right now. Some might say, oh, well, I just really want my children to be obedient to me. You know, that's, that's what I want and more than anything else. So I, maybe I'm saying, I want to be a good parent in that way. I, I don't know. What would you say are the eight things that you most want to build or see built into your life? Well, what Jesus is talking about in these Beatitudes are really eight character qualities, eight things that are vital. And, and I believe more than any other time in the history of the church, this sermon needs to be heard today. Not by the world, but by Christians. This sermon needs to be heard by those who profess Jesus Christ. Because we need to understand again what Jesus is just sort of unfolding for us here. What is the Christian life? And what does it mean to be a Christian. 
Jesus says in verse 3 of chapter 5, and the only one we're going to look at today, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in reality, those first three, verses 3, 4, and 5, kind of are related to one another. They're kind of tied together in some way because they all basically speak about our standing or our approach to the presence of God. Each one of those first three talk about how it is that we approach God as a believer. You know, if you've been in education or if you've had a child in, edu- in the educational systems for the last 20 years, you find that one of the things that is, has been taught and has been stressed and has been emphasized over and over and over and over again is that we must help our children to have a good, what? Self-esteem. We must help them to have a good self-image. We must help them to see that they can do anything they want to do, anytime they want to do it. All they've got to do is step up and say, this is what I'm going to do, and they've got to believe that they can do that. Now, I understand where that's coming from to an extent, but I read an interesting study about six weeks ago that was published in, in uh, uh, I believe it was USA Today, as a matter of fact, where they found it or where they published the, some results of it. They said, we have gone so far in teaching our young people self-esteem that we've set them up for absolute failure because they all really think they can achieve. One guy was, one illustrative uh, example was given there of one guy who made straight A's all the way through high school. He went and took the, uh, the SAT and he scored about 900 on it. And he couldn't understand why Harvard wouldn't accept him. Because he had straight A's. And he wanted to go to Harvard. And that was his desire. That was, and he had been taught over and over again, if you want something bad enough, you can do it. He couldn't do it. I think also we have damaged a lot of young people's approach to God. And a lot of adults' approach to God through our overemphasis on we just got to have a strong self-esteem. We got to believe in ourselves. We got to believe we can do it. Because what Jesus is saying here, quite honestly, is just the opposite of some kind of spiritual self-esteem. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What in the world does it mean to be poor in spirit? This relates neither to financial nor depressive conditions in a person's life, although it has been interpreted that way from time to time. Some have interpreted poor. Well, the poor means those who have no money, and so the poor are those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, and so if you're not poor, then you, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so there have been people throughout generations who have said, well, here's the deal. Just like the rich young ruler who came to Christ, and Jesus said to him, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to see the kingdom, then go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And some have said, well, if I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, then I have got to give away everything I've got. I've got to become destitute and I've got to become poor in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, now there is an admirable side of giving to the poor. There is an admirable side of meeting the needs of those who have needs. I mean, we are called to do that. There is no doubt about that. But I want you to understand that Jesus is not talking about financial poverty here. You can be absolutely destitute 
and not have poorness of spirit. Okay? Not be poor in spirit. You can also be very wealthy in the world's eyes. You can have things, but those things don't have you. And you can have much stuff and yet still be poor in spirit if you understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about a financial standing. He's also not talking about depressiveness. You know, I've seen people who said, well, I'm just poor in spirit. Woe is me. Poor old me. I'm just so poor in spirit. That's not what he's talking about either. He's not talking about a depressive characteristic. He's not talking about woeing and mowing and moaning around all the time. It's not it at all. When Jesus talks about the poor in spirit, he, he's really not even coming up with this idea out of thin air. He, he's really doing some exegesis. He's doing some exposition of Old Testament truth. You see, in the Old Testament, the poor, if you take that term, the poor, it's almost a technical term for a specific or a particular group of people. And the psalmist and the prophets all spoke of that from time to time. Just a couple examples. Psalm 34, 6 says this. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him. It's not talking about poorness in economics. It's talking about a poorness and a brokenness of spirit that says, Lord, I must have you. Lord, I can't go on without you. The poor man cried out to God and said, God, I am, I am without any hope except for you. Or in Psalm 40, verse 17, where the psalmist said, Since I am afflicted and needy, and the word needy there in New American Standard is the same word as poor. It's translated in the King James. Since I am afflicted and poor, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. He says, listen, I am poor, I'm needy, I'm afflicted. I, I can't do anything for myself. Lord, I need for you to do it quickly. Don't delay, Lord. You are my help, you are my deliverer. Or Psalm 69, which was read by Ricky as the, as the uh, scripture reading this morning. In, right there in the middle of what he read, it said, the humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the poor, the needy, the poor, and does not despise his who are prisoners. You see, there's this idea of a technical term in the Old Testament that speaks of the poor, not as just financially poor, although they may have been to some degree from time to time, but as those who are what Jesus is calling here poor in spirit, who acknowledge, Lord, I, must, I, I need your help. I need your hand. I have to have you. Uh, Augustus Toplady, the great hymn writer, I think captured it as clearly as anything in, in one of his hymns when he said this, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy, thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You see, sometimes we think so highly of ourselves. We think so good of ourselves. We think that, hey, we really do have a, 
a, a standing. We really do have a right to come before God and say, God, you know, here I am, and, and, and I just want to be a part of your family, and, and just I'm coming just as I am. The hymn, just as I am. I'm, I'm coming just as I am. And, and Lord, I don't want to change. I want to be just like I am for all my life, but, but I want to accept you. I want you to come into my life. I want you to, I want you to be a part of my life, you know. And Jesus is saying that's not what it is at all. Top Lady captured the idea of poorness, poor of spirit. Top Lady captured the idea of I don't bring anything in my hand. I don't have anything to bring to you. And when we go before God at death into heaven, understand we're not going to carry all this stuff and say, Lord, see what I've got here. We're going to go empty before Him then because all we have to give Him that we have done for ourselves is our sin. And in this life, if we've been clothed in His righteousness, that sin has been washed away and cleansed away and forgiven. We understand that. But there's a coming before God with a poorness of spirit. It's an internal poorness. It's, a, it's an understanding that we don't have anything to make claim to the presence of God. You know, there's some people who think, God's pretty, pretty lucky to have me in church today. You know, it's a, God ought to be thankful that I came because I have so much to offer Him. That's a, that's a deceptive attitude that comes not from the Spirit of God, not from the Spirit of Christ, but comes from the Spirit of the evil one. Jesus says you must come poor in spirit. And that is a work of regeneration. That is a work of new life being built into your life. In the early chapters of Romans, I mean, I... The Apostle Paul kind of captures that for us. He, he talks about how this new spirit is born. If you want to look with me just a minute, we won't take a lot of time here, but, but hear what he says in Romans chapter 3. Instead of being self-sufficient and acceptable before God, Paul makes clear that we are by, rebels nat- by, by nature rebels against him. He's quoting the Old Testament here, so he too is just expounding Old Testament truth. But in verses 13 through 17, he says, talking about people now, talking about men and women who live on this earth, every man and woman who's outside of Christ. He said, their their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving, and the poison of asp is under their lips. That doesn't sound very complimentary whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. Wow. Paul quoting from Isaiah says, this is how the human race is. When it's self-sufficient, when its self-esteem is such that they think they need nothing but themselves, when they think they are are so worth, they have such worth and are so worthy that they come to God, or they don't come to God actually, because they don't really need Him. Those statements follow the earlier statements in 10 through 12, where, where the Apostle Paul says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God or seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. You see, to come to Christ, 
to come and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone, to come to a point where there is blessedness, which means there is, there is, uh, there is peace, and where there is all well with my soul, is to recognize that I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I'm just, I'm just a, rebel, a rebel. I'm just one who rebels against God. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand. Paul is saying, I want you to understand that there must be a recognition that what we are in the presence of God is what we are. No more and no less. And, and Jesus says, if you really want to come before God, you come poor in spirit, bankrupt in spirit, broken in spirit, acknowledging, Lord, I bring you nothing except my sin, but Lord, I cry out to you because I need your presence more than I need even literal breath, physical breath. I need you, O oh Lord, and you alone. I think one of the best illustrations in Scripture of the opposite of this poorness in spirit is found over in Revelation chapter 3. Again, you can turn there with me quickly if you want to. Where we have the words of Jesus through the Apostle John there on the Isle of Patmos. And a sermon to that church. A letter to that church. And there's one real key statement that I want you to see, but listen to this. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says, Jesus just describing himself, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now listen to verse 17. Because you say... I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Or from Alabama, naked. You just don't know that. Because you've convinced yourself that you don't need anything. I've accumulated my wealth. Laodicea was in a very, uh, a very rich city, a, a trade city. And, and gold was, traveling, was passed through there all the time. And, and these people accumulated great financial wealth. And they said, we don't need anything else. Now they went to church evidently. But it seems it's a church that had shut Christ out. It seems it's a church that said, we don't want Christ in authority here. We don't want Him ruling here. Because verse 20 pictures Him outside the door of the church, knocking to try to get back in. By the way, that's not an evangelistic verse about the heart, door of your heart. It's about the door of the church at Laodicea, where He's knocking because they have excluded Him from the fellowship because they didn't need Him anymore. They didn't need to submit to His authority anymore. They had everything they needed. That's the opposite of poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to come to Christ and say, Lord, I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I need. I need you. I need grace. 
I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. I, I need reconciliation. I, I need atonement. I, I need to be cleansed and clothed and, 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 and brought to the fountain and cleaned, as top lady said. I need to be washed, O oh Lord, and you're the only one that can do it. I cannot do it myself. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To bow before the living God. To bow before the throne of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, Lord, you are Lord. Jesus says that these things bring blessedness. These things bring blessing. These things bring blessedness. Peace. Protection. Care. Do you know what? There are a lot of other things in this world that will tell you they'll bring you that. There are a lot of things in this world that will say, Oh, I'll bring you happiness, and I'll bring you peace, and I'll bring you prosperity, and I'll bring you everything you want. But everything else is but a mirage in the desert. You know what a mirage in the desert is. You're, you're traveling along, you're thirsty, and you, you see water. But as you get close to it, you realize there's just the sun uh, reflecting off the sand in such a way that it looked like water. And you get there, there's nothing but sand again. Every other small g God, every other thing in this world that says, come to me and I'll make you happy. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's position. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care whatever it is. Everything that says, come to me, and I will give you significance. Come to me, and I will give you self-esteem. Come to me, and I will bless you and make you happy and give you peace. I don't care what it is. They are merely mirages. They promise much, but they can deliver nothing but disappointment. Hear that. They promise a lot, but they can't deliver anything but disappointment and heartache, and fear. But Jesus says, those who come to me, poor in spirit, because they've been touched by the Spirit of God and drawn and given life in Christ, and they come bowing before the authority of Christ. They will be blessed. They will be happy. I don't like the, the way some people translate the Beatitudes, you know. Happy is he who is poor in spirit because it's much deeper than just superficial happiness. It's not the be happy attitudes as, uh, was it Schuler that wrote the book, the be happy attitudes, I think. It's not the be happy attitudes. It's the Beatitudes. Being what God has called you to be because He's done a work in your life. What a glorious truth that is.
And there is a semblance of happiness, but there's even greater than happiness. There's joy that comes out of this. There's an understanding of joy when you see that you're not like the church at Laodicea who think you have everything because you have stuff in this world, but you realize that spiritually it's poor in spirit, not poor in finances, poor in your spirit, that spiritually you realize that you are poor and in need of the grace of God continuously in your life. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to your fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray. Father, it is our understanding that when you work in our life, it is a great work. It is a mighty work. It is a powerful work. And Lord, you give us standing before you, not because of how good we are, not because of how worthy we are, not because of how much self-esteem we have, but you give us standing before you because we see our own neediness, our own poorness in your presence. Father, when we see that, you lift us up. We humble ourselves in your presence, you are exalted through our lives, and you, in right time, exalt us. We don't exalt ourselves, O Lord. Our goal, our prayer, our desire, our passion is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Lord. So, Father, break us in our spirit. Show us our neediness. Give us a desire, O oh Lord, by your grace to stand before you as beggars that we might be seen later as children of the King. Father, I pray for men and women who don't know you this morning. Don't understand what it means, what we're talking about, being poor in spirit. All they've heard all their life is there to be Self-sufficient, dependent on no one. Lord, show them their dependency on you. Pray for others, Lord, who need to make commitments before you. They're believers, but they just need to come to some clarity of understanding of what it means to walk in the presence of Almighty God and submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. For others, Lord, you're leading to be a part of this church family. I ask you to just make that clear to them this day. Father, do your work as only you can. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.